This morning, this is number two in the Spirit and Truth series. The title of the message is called The God-Breathed Word. Everybody say the God-Breathed Word. Say it with me. Come on. The God-Breathed Word. Our series text is John chapter 4. Say it with me as we read it, please. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We have two avenues or characteristics of what our, our worship is to be like. It is to be spiritual, that it, it is to be empowered with the presence of God, and it is to be truth. It's to be built on the word of God. So we have a form in truth, and we have a flow of his presence in the spirit. We used an illustration last Sunday that I'm going to use as we launch into this message today, and that is that we want to build a beautiful fireplace in this house of the Lord. We want to stack it with majestic stone that's been carved out of theological truth from God's Word, the Bible. But probably one of the greatest travesties is to have a beautiful house and a majestic fireplace, a massive space for a roaring fire to be, but then there not be any fire in it. Now, if there's not a fireplace and the fire is not contained, you can burn the house down. Remember what we said? We said, all truth and no spirit, you dry up. All spirit and no truth, you blow up. But spirit and truth, you grow up. So we want, we want the truth of a majestic, glorious, beautifully built, theologically sound fireplace but the, the last thing we want is to have this beautiful structure, but nothing in it, no life in it, no fire. When you build a roaring, crackling fire in the house, it will heat the cold house, and it will cook food that will sustain the people that live in the house. Come on, somebody. So we want both. We want truth, and we want spirit. We want the fireplace, and we want to have a fire in it, okay? And so this morning, as we look to this, the, the message text for today is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Just read silently as I read this part out loud. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. 2 Corinthians 3, 16, 17. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. One thing. Read this out loud with me. Here we go. The Holy Spirit is our guide and the Bible is our map that together shows us how to follow Jesus and advance his kingdom in our lives and the world. One more time. Let's get it together. Read it like you mean it. The Holy Spirit is our guide and the Bible is our map that together shows us how to follow Jesus and advance his kingdom in our lives and the world. Pray with me this morning, please. Let's bow our hearts together for a word of prayer. Spirit of the living God, we thank you today that as we've lifted our voices in worship, that you've come and convicted us, you've challenged us, you've comforted us. Lord, you've whispered words of guidance. Lord, thank you that you've increased our faith. Thank you, Jesus, that Everything that we do, we pray that it would bring glory to you. You're the center of it all. This is all about you. It's not about me. It's not about us, but it's about you, Jesus. 
just ask you to get up in the middle of everything that I want to bring today that I believe that you've given to me this week and put on my heart for your people. I ask you and I pray the words of the psalmist that said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Lord, I ask you today that you would be ears and eyes in the hearts of your people, that you would speak to us, you would you would teach us, even as we read in what the Word of God does, every God-breathed Word teaches and corrects and instructs in righteousness. God, I thank you today that as we look to you, that you will touch and change and challenge and you will heal. Lord, you'll speak to us today that you will take a coal off of your altar and you will deposit a specific tailor-made word into each individual person's life. Lord, bring them a step closer, Father, in your perfect will for the destiny that you've called them to. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name and all of God's people said, amen. Point number one this morning, the word of God reads us. That's kind of a strange statement to make. We usually think of committing to a Bible reading plan reading a chapter of Proverbs each day. Today's the 13th of October, so if you're doing the Proverbs reading plan, you will at some time today, maybe you already have, read through Proverbs chapter 13. And you're going to look at a number of different topics that are all related to the wisdom of God and how we can walk and have the blessing of God in our lives, applying principles of the kingdom and principles of wisdom, or we can be the fool or we can be the simpleton. And we can do things the way of the world, We can do things in ignorance, do things in foolishness, and we can walk apart from the wisdom of God and not have his blessing on our lives. And there are consequences, there are implications of all of those. Maybe you've signed up with YouVersion on on any of your phones through the different platforms. It's a free app as well. You can make a commitment to read through any number of translations on a yearly basis. Maybe you don't want to commit to read through the whole Bible. Maybe you just want to do like a 30-day thing on a specific topic. You want to do a Bible study on courage for 30 days and you need some strength and courage in your life. There are great opportunities to do that on YouVersion. By the way, YouVersion is where we have all of our notes. If, you, if you're not tuned in there today, if you have the app, if you'll pull up the YouVersion app and click under events, you'll find Victory Church of the Mid-South. You'll see my three points there, the scriptures that I'm going to be using. And all of the questions for your life group discussion there this week on the YouVersion app. That's all uploaded before you come in here on Sunday morning. So that's available. We think of reading the Word of God. I have read it through every year since I was 18. I'm 58 now, so one time a year is a minimum of 40. And there have been a number of years that I've read it through twice. So I know that I've at least hit 40 times that I've read through the Bible. And every time I do, I learn something new that I didn't see before. Something new will jump off the page. It is a living book. It is a book that has the ability to transform the life of the reader. As a matter of fact, I would say the listener because the Word has a voice. And this morning as I talk about this, the Word of God reads us. I want you to think about not just reading words off of a page, but the Word of God, the living Word of God is a person. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. Say those two words with me, please. Alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, 
Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. This is a description of a person, and his name is Jesus. The Word of God is a person. He is alive. The, the, the distinction between the truth of something and the realization and the experience of it, we, we taught last week. 30-second review of last week is this. Every objective truth of the Bible has a subjective experience that the Holy Spirit applies to the heart of the believer. You can know about the truth of being born again, but until the Spirit applies that truth to your heart personally and you've been born again, it's just an idea. You can know that Jesus Christ came to heal the sick, but you can believe in that concept, but until you actually have that happen in your life, it's just an idea. And an idea does have the ability to change the world, but it does change the world when it's put into practice. It's, it's one thing to believe in Jesus. It's something entirely different to believe Jesus. The question that I'm asking this morning is not do you believe in Jesus because the world believes in Jesus. The world believes that Jesus was a great teacher. They believe that he was a historical figure who was born about 4 B.C., who was crucified about 27, 28 A.D., somewhere in that particular timeline parameter. It's one thing to believe in Jesus Christ as a prophet that changed the world. It's one thing to believe in Jesus Christ, even as God's Son. But the question is not, do you believe in Jesus in any of those areas? Because that's really nothing more than how you believe in George Washington or how you believe in Abraham Lincoln. You know, it's, it's one thing to know the history of a president who wrote the Emancipation Proclamation and freed the slaves. It's something else to have been a slave and then been set free. It's, it's, it's one thing to know that the Spirit of God will come on you and empower you and lead you and guide you and, and fill you with His Holy Spirit. It's something else to actually be in the receiving position of having that happen in your life and your life getting turned upside down. Come on, somebody, help me a little bit in this room this morning. Every objective truth of the Word has a subjective experience that the Spirit of God applies to the heart of the believer. And this is what happens when the word, the person of the word, begins to inhabit your life. Because you can understand the theology. You can build a fireplace, but until you get a fire in it, it's not really functioning in the destiny or the reason for which it was made. Some Christians are guilty of what we refer to as bibliolatry. I love the Bible. The Bible is God's word. I honor it. The history of the Puritans tells us that they would never allow another book to be stacked on top of their Bibles because they believed that the Word of God was the supreme Word of the land. It was an outward gesture, always keeping it in a place of prominence. Nothing else could be stacked on top of the Bible because that would seem to be an indication that it was from the top down more powerful than the Word of God. You can go through the motions and make sure that no book is ever stacked on top of any of your Bibles in your house. And let me tell you, it won't make a hill of beans of difference in your life until you let the Word of God get in you and it gets stacked on top of everything else you're thinking in your life. 
that's when the objective truth becomes a subjective experience and the Spirit of God has just gotten on the inside of you and changed your thinking and your life and your circumstance. Oh, I wish I had a church that could hear what I was saying this morning would help me preach a little bit. I'm looking for a church. Where are they? Come on, help me. The Word is a person. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Without Him was not anything made that was made. John 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of of truth, full of grace and truth, the only begotten of God, filled with glory, filled with grace, filled with truth. I, I love it because the NLT says it this way. So the Word became human and He made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. My favorite translation of this passage is Eugene Peterson's The Message because it says the Word was made flesh and He moved into the neighborhood. How many of you know when Jesus gets real, He'll get hood with you. He'll move up into your hood. He'll move up into the hood where all the problems are. Jesus isn't afraid that his good is going to get corrupted by your evil. Jesus is not afraid of your darkness because his light will overcome your darkness. Come on, somebody. And when he moves in the hood, you can see how he lives. You can see how he acts, how he reacts. You know, it's, it's way easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. Think about that now. I'll leave that alone. I can act like a Christian all day long, but when you cross me and in a moment you get to really see who I am and how I react, when you tick me off, if I can act like a Christian then, you know that what I've got is the real thing. Come on, Lord, help us all. Everybody just say, Lord, help us all. We all need some help. As the the African-American brother said, help me, help me. I need some help. Help me now, Lord. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is a two-edged sword. It's a person. He gets down on the inside of us and He will wrestle with us. The Word of God has the ability to move in and out of things that otherwise you don't have the ability to distinguish between. He says that that the two-edged sword can cut between soul and spirit. Eh, doesn't really stand out to most folk. They don't really know exactly what's being said. So he takes a natural illustration and explains it to us. He says, between joint and marrow, the joints that are in your body, the marrow of the bone that runs through those bones and in those joints are so together that it's hard to tell where one stops and another one starts. And so literally what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this two-edged sword of the voice of the the person of the word has the ability to get in your life and can slice between what is a soulish thought or what is a spiritual intention of God's word. And it goes on to say, the King James says that he discerns between the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's a way deep layer. We're going way, way deep on the inside. Not just the thoughts that I think up here on the surface, but the intentions down in the root of my heart that are driving those intentions. God God can divide. God can separate. The Word of God can get in there and fuss with you and argue with those things that are driving your thought life. And when that Word begins to take preeminence, it can change our thought patterns. What was it? Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
when, when God comes into your life, when Christ changes a person's life, you begin to gradually think a whole new kind of thinking and a whole new set of thoughts. It, the scripture says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Come on, somebody, help me a little bit this morning. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, The Word is alive and powerful. The Word divides and it discerns. It's able to distinguish between the thought that I have and the intention of my heart that's driving it. The Holy Spirit is our guide and the Bible is our map that together show us how to follow Jesus and advance His kingdom in our lives and the world. What I want you to see, folks, is we can put the word on a shelf, we can frame it in a shadow box, we can nearly bow down and worship it, but until we get the contents of that in our lives and we begin to obey what it says, we don't just believe in the word, but we believe the word. Are you hearing me? And we make decisions consciously based on what that word says, then things begin to change. The word is a blueprint. It's not the house that God is building. Okay, so let's, we, we can't take the book and cover our head and have shelter. We can't take the book and feed our bodies with the, pr- the promise of God's provision. It's the blueprint that shows me how to get all of those things. Come on, somebody. I don't just need the objective truth. I need the subjective experience. Say amen. Point number two. Are you getting anything out of this? All Scripture is inspired. All Scripture is is inspired. I learned to quote Job 32.8 back in high school. I can remember literally the moments when I wrote these scriptures down on a 3 by 5 card and I can remember where I was and what I was doing and what the Spirit of the Lord was teaching in my life in those moments. Job 32.8 in the King James says, There is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty gives them understanding. I've known that verse for probably 45 years or so. There is a spirit in man And the inspiration of the Almighty gives understanding. I read it this week in the NLT, and I'm sitting at my desk in my man cave. It's my office on the second floor in my house. And I laughed out loud when I read what the NLT says. It says, but there is a spirit within people, the breath of the Almighty within them, that makes them intelligent. And I laughed and I said, Lord, I know a few folk that need you to breathe on them. Some of you got that. It's going to hit the rest of you in a couple of minutes. Maybe you're the one I'm talking to. You need a little bit of breath of the Almighty on you. Some folk, some folk are agnoeo. It's the Greek word for ignorance. They just don't know. Some folk are idiotes. They don't know and don't want to know. They're idiots. Those are all in the first service, present company excluded. God breathes on you and makes you intelligent. Lord, breathe on me, Jesus. Help me. (laughs) Oh, I need you to breathe on me. (laughs) Help me, Lord. Help me make good decisions. Help me have some intelligence, oh God, about myself. Help me know myself. Help me know my circumstances. Help me know the people around me. Make me intelligent, Lord. Breathe on me, oh God. When we say the Bible is inspired, that's literally what we're saying. It's God-breathed. The Greek word is theonoustos. Theos is God, theology. Neustos comes from the Greek word pneuma, which is another word for spirit or wind or breath. The study of the Holy Spirit is pneumatology, silent P. Pneumonia is a disease of your lungs where you what? Everybody say breathe. 
to inspire the root spire we see in the middle of the word respiratory, respire. Inspire is to breathe into. You don't want the opposite of inspire. When you're not inspired, you are expired. Now, I'm not talking about that bad cottage cheese in the back of your refrigerator that's eight months old. It's expired. It's date is expired. I'm talking about when you expire, you've breathed out your last breath. You've expired. So when God breathes into the word, literally God is expiring his breath into, breathing into the word of God. The scripture tells us in the book of 2 Peter that it was the Holy Spirit that bore the word of God into the various authors who wrote the books. 66 books written by 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years and all carrying this central theme of the redemptive history of God in one man, the God-man Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. When Paul wrote and he said in 2 Timothy, this was about 65 A.D., and there was just a very few of the New Testament books that even had even appeared on the scene. When he said all Scripture is God-breathed, what were the Scriptures that were available at the time? What were they? The Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, or somebody said the Italian prophet Malachi. <laughs> 39 books, that's what was available. There were some others that are not considered inspired, the books of wisdom, the books of Ecclesiasticus, Bell and the Dragon, Estrus, a number of other books that are considered in, in the Apocrypha that are given to us that might have some historical value, the books of the Maccabees, the Maccabean Revolution and the Revolt, really cool things in some biblical history, but they're not considered to be inspired. We had all this stuff finally came together by around 100 A.D., and it was not till 1,500 years later where we see a collection in the authorized version in, in the what's called the King James Authorized Version in 1611 where we see the 66 books of the Bible that we acknowledge today as the inspired, authoritative Word of God. As I told you last week, you can trust your Bible. Archaeological digs for the last hundred years all over Israel and the whole Middle East have served to continuously confirm that the historical, uh, the historical statements of the Old Testament are validated and they're authentic and they're true. They're historically accurate. But in those days, all they had was the Old Covenant. They had those 39 books from Genesis to Malachi. But the thing is, is that when Paul got saved, when Paul's life was transformed, he put on a whole new set of glasses. He began to see the Old Covenant with New Covenant eyes. He begins to look back to all of these historical events and occurrences in the life of Israel and he starts to see Jesus all over the place. Now, in Paul's life, I didn't share this in the first service because I forgot it. It's not in my notes and I intended to share it, but I, I, I want you to think about this. There was a young man who stood there in Acts chapter 7 and held the coats while men picked up stones and stoned Stephen while he was preaching the gospel about Jesus. The word went forth. The truth was declared. But there was no change in Saul's life. 
It was not until two chapters later in the book of Acts, it was about a year later in chronological time, when Saul is on the road to Damascus riding a donkey with a pocket full of warrants, ready to go capture Christians and put them in jail to put them to death. And Jesus, the one that Stephen was preaching about, the proclamation went forth and no change happened in Saul. But when a spiritual experience showed up in Saul's life, all of a sudden he was transformed. The one that Stephen was preaching about showed up on the Damascus road and knocked Paul off of his donkey... And he had an experience that transformed his life. And all of a sudden, a Christian killer becomes a church builder, a body of Christ builder, an apostle, a sent one from God. Because truth in information only won't do anything but just puff up your head until it's experienced in your life. Come on, am I getting through to anybody this morning? The proclamation of this word today is not going to change you until you mix it with faith and you experience the objective truth that I'm preaching about. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. What does it mean to read the Old Covenant with New Covenant eyes? I look back and I put on a new set of glasses that are Jesus glasses and I see him all over that word. If you would go ahead and put this up, this is the bulk of what I want to share today. Help me, Holy Spirit. Because we see this passage, I want to read it one more time from the text. It says, all scriptures inspired by God is useful to teach us what is true. Everybody say, teach true. And to make us realize what is wrong. Everybody say, make us realize the wrong. It corrects us when we are wrong. Everybody say, corrects wrong. And teaches us to do what is right. Everybody say, teaches right. So you just saw there's a, there is a, a, a chart here of phrases, teach the true, realize the wrong, correct the wrong, teach the right. And what I want you to see is this, I want you to see it in light of a road. And those of you who have been through Purple Book with me, just bear with me because you've already been taught this. So you can help me say amen. There's a way. Always don't lead to heaven. There are a lot of choices, a lot of turns, a lot of directions you can go, and they all don't lead to the same direction. Some paths can take you into serious trouble and you have to learn to ponder the path of your feet as the book of Proverbs says. You need to learn the direction that you're going and pay attention to your surroundings and especially the folk that you're traveling with because in five years you're going to be just like that crowd, whoever your posse is. You need to choose your posse will. In five years you'll be the same person you are today except for the books you read and the people you hang around. So who are you hanging around with, Jerry? Who are you hanging around with, Sally? Come on, who are your friends? Who are those that are influencing your life? You better, you need to be looking around and you want people that love God more than you do that you want to hang with. You want folks that are smarter than you are that you want to hang with. You want to hang around folks that can challenge you and that will pull the best out of you and that will make you what God's called you to be because they'll challenge you to be better than you are right now. Come on, somebody, say amen. There is a path which no fowl knoweth and the vulture's eye is not seen. Job 28, 7. Isaiah 35. There is a highway, a way of holiness. Jesus said, broad is the gate and wide is the way which leads to destruction and many there be that find it. He said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life and few there be that find it. There's a right path and there's a whole lot of wrong paths. 
Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Isaiah said, when you walk with me, there will be a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. I have a GPS in my car. Before I got my new car, I had a GPS on my iPhone. And Siri has kind of an annoying, and you notice they always make them a female voice. I don't know why. Um, And when you put a destination in, you decide where you're headed, predestined, you pro-horizo, you mark out where you're headed. And when I choose that I'm going to head up to St. Louis and I'm going to drive 289 miles, I'm going to be there in about four and a half or five hours. And along the way, I decide that I need a, a Coca-Cola, as Granddad used to call it. I mean, you know, a Coca-Cola. So I pull in and I pull off the road. And as soon as I pull off the road, Siri or my, or my new GPS in my, my new car will start talking to me and say, proceed to the route. And it's, I just want to slap it sometimes. It just annoys me. I know what I'm doing. I, I, I've gotten a vision. I've got a sign. I, I, I see a Wendy's sign. I see a Chick-fil-A. Oh, glory to God. The kingdom of heaven is right over there. I see a Chick-fil-A sign. You can eat that demonic Popeye chicken sandwich if you want to, but I'm going to eat. I'm, t- I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, that Popeye sandwich is pretty good. <laughs> oh, but I see the Chick-fil-A. Oh, praise God. The gates of glory are right over there. So I'm pulling off, and I want to get me a diet Dr. Pepper, and I want, I want four nuggets and some Chick-fil-A sauce. And Oh, hallelujah. I'm, I'm already excited right now. And they're closed today. What's wrong with them? And I, and, I, and I know where I'm headed, and my, all the time I'm looking at that sign, I know where I'm going, and it says, recalculating, recalculating. I just want to say, shut up, woman. <laughs> but how many of you know, when you get off the road, Scripture says in the King James, the script, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for doctrine, and that's a, a word that has sort of fallen into ill repute. We don't like doctrine because doctrine, we think of something that divides us because guess what happens? Truth divides Real truth divides. If you tell the truth, you're not always going to make everybody happy. Look at your neighbor and say, tell the truth. Sometimes truth is offensive. By its very nature, truth divides. And so when we are taught the way, the truth, the road, the road that I'm supposed to stay on, when I get off the road, the internal GPS, the word that is a person starts to speak to me and says, proceed to the route, get back on the road, you're going the wrong way. You're making a bad decision. He interrupts my sleep. I can't get any rest. My peace is robbed for me because the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. When I start to make a bad turn or go in a wrong direction, the GPS will start to say, proceed to the root. Get back up on the right path. It'll show me the road that I'm supposed to be on. It'll correct me when I'm wrong and I get, it'll show me where I got off the road. And if I keep going the wrong direction, it will actually set a whole new route and it will say, recalculating, recalculating, go down here and take a left at Main Street. And if I will listen to the voice of my GPS, it will get me back to the route that I'm supposed to be on. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me this morning? The Spirit of God will recalculate. You can make a bad decision and it's not the end of your life. It's not the end of your spiritual walk. God's not throwing you away. Not, God's not going to bust you upside the head. 
He's just going to speak to you and he's going to say, recalculate and go down here and take this turn and I'm going to get you back up on the right path where you belong. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? It'll correct you when you're wrong. That's how to get back on the right road. And then it'll teach you what is right. That's how to stay on the right road. I remember that old uh, African-American black gospel song says, I'm on the right road now. Mm-hmm. Everybody say, get on the right road. <laughs> and all of that, when it teaches me the truth and I realize what's wrong and it corrects me in that spot and gets me back on the right road and shows me how to stay on it, it will prepare and equip me for every good work that I have before me to lead my business, to build my marriage, to raise champions in my children, to inspire, to encourage folk. How many have ever seen on TV, maybe on usually the morning shows, a lot of times they do this sort of thing. They will tell you the new words this year that have been put into the English lexicon. The, the dictionary, the Oxford Dictionary of the English Language adds at least a dozen words every year that have been, become part of culture. In this generation that we're in of social media, one that was added about five years ago was the word selfie. You know what a selfie is. I've got a camera on this. A selfie is when I stand up here just like this, and I've got my camera on, and I get myself in the edge of it, and I take a picture of the congregation. I'm holding the camera, and I snap the picture that's called a selfie. Well, that's a part of the English lexicon now. We've just coined a new word that we've picked up along the way that's become a part of our vernacular, part of the way we speak. 1800s, we have the second great awakening. A revival hits the United States of America. And it's in preparation. The Spirit of God knew what was coming and knew there was going to be a massive division and civil war. The Spirit of God is moving to prepare hearts for people and, and, and the loss of, uh, of one side and the victory of the other and healing uh, the wounds, my God, of generations of people that were ripped from their families in the west coast of Africa. Injustice that is indescribable that's been done. And the Spirit of God moves in a revival to begin to transform our culture. And there's a guy by the name of Charles Grandison Finney, Charles G. Finney, who was trained as a lawyer, who begins to preach the gospel around the whole United States of America. And revival follows him everywhere he goes. There was one story that was told that when he got on a train from Pennsylvania into New York, he was going to be preaching a meeting at Rochester, New York, Literally, the conductor or the dude who takes up the tickets, who punched their tickets, fell on the ground in front of him on his knees and said, tell me what I need to do to be saved. Man, that's powerful. I can't imagine God trusting me with enough of his presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life that I don't even have to say anything, that people fall down in front of me and I have the the honor of being able to lift them up and go, no, 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 I'm just a servant, but let me tell you about Jesus. When someone is so convicted in your presence that they want to know how to get saved. Charles G. Finney preached weeks and weeks and weeks that turned into months in a revival in Rochester, New York City. The population during the time in the 1800s was 175,000 people and 100,000 of them had a born-again, spirit-filled experience where their lives were turned upside down and transformed in the Second Great Awakening. The city was transformed. The jails were emptied. The taverns shut down because the alcoholics quit drinking because they took a drink of of the water of life that transformed them. 
production increased. The factory started humming again because folk weren't laid out on a daily basis because they were drunk. The, the culture of a whole town transformed. People started being sweet to each other. Can you imagine what it would be like if two-thirds of Crittenden County really had a born-again experience? Lord, send it. Lord, if you're looking for a people that you want to pour your spirit out on, here we are. We're available. Do it right now. Start with me, oh God, today. I want you to see, and there was a new word that was coined. It was added to the lexicon of the Oxford, Oxford English Dictionary. It was the word enthusiasm. We'd never used it before in the history of our language. The Second Great Awakening Revival added the word enthusiasm to the American language. Entheos means to be infused with God. Theos, God, in, to inject the Spirit of God. When I'm enthusiastic, it means that I'm bubbling over with the presence and the Spirit of the Lord. I'm not just trying to be enthusiastic about my message. I'm passionate because I, I'm, I've been before His presence this week and I am, thank God, filled with the Holy Spirit and I want that on you. I want you to get enthusiastic as you leave this place today because your passion will get the attention of people. When you get their attention, your character will keep it and be ready to share what God has done in your life. Somebody say amen. Word of God reads us, all Scripture is inspired. Last thing, and I'm finished this morning. Have you got anything out of this? One thing, the Holy Spirit is our guide and the Bible is our map that together shows us how to follow Jesus and advance His kingdom in our lives and the world. We've got something external and we've got something internal. We've got a map and we've got a GPS system. Spirit of God in us. Truth external, Spirit internal. Somebody say amen. Come on. Lastly, this morning, point number three, and I'm finished. God is not mute. Unfortunately, too many folk believe now that we've got a copy of the Word of God that God quit talking 2,000 years ago. God's talking right now. The problem is most people aren't listening. It's quiet in this room. You were born into this world with the receiver, the equipment to receive the Wi-Fi signal of heaven. But until you are born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't have that equipment turned on. It's dead. It's dormant. It's not plugged in and turned on, and it's certainly not tuned into the right frequency. Are you hearing me today? There are multitudes of signals that are going through this room right now. We've got three Wi-Fi systems in this building, one of them that runs the sound system. There, there are radio waves. There's a microwave. There are AM and FM signals. There are cell signals that are coming through this room. Somebody just got a text. Somebody tried to call you a few minutes ago and thank the Lord you put it on mute before the service started. Signals are all over the place. The issue is whether or not you have the ability to hear them and are you turned on and tuned in. Heaven is talking. Heaven is sending instructions. God's Word is speaking to you. And it's not just black letters on white paper. Listen, as victory, we believe in a closed canon. Anything that God speaks to you, we're not adding it to the Bible. It's not on that level of revelation. But God will whisper. God will give you a nudge. God will give you peace. God will take your peace when you try to make a bad decision. There are multitudes of ways that the Spirit of the Lord will speak to your heart. If you will just learn how to listen, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they will follow. 
my sheep not just hear my voice, but they know my voice. Unfortunately, you look at the Revelation chapter 22 at the end of your Bible, and you'll see two words, the end. Those are not inspired words. Those are not words that came out of red-letter Jesus' mouth. Those were put there by the printer, by the publisher. Though that's the end of the record of the Bible of God's Word, Revelation 22, we don't add anything to it. That's not when God stopped talking. God didn't write you a love letter 2,000 years ago, marry you, and then decided he's going to go mute for 2,000 years. He's talking. God is talking. Are you listening? Now, I'm going to date myself because this, some of you, this was before you were born, but all the older folks in the room will remember this. Remember those commercials where you were sitting in a, in a restaurant and you would see several well-dressed guys together that were talking about investments, and one guy would say, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And when that person would say the name E.F. Hutton, the whole room would stop talking and look. My broker is E.F. Hutton, and E.F. Hutton says, my God, give us an E.F. Hutton intensity to the voice of the Lord. This is the word of God. He's speaking to your heart today. Are you listening? Jesus told them, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. King James says it this way, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Proceedeth is just that. It is present progressive. It is proceeding right now. People, will do not live by bread alone, but by every word that is coming, presently progressive, that is coming out of the mouth of God. God is speaking to your heart right now to lead you, to guide you, to comfort you, to challenge you, to increase your faith, to provide for you, to convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment. His word is all comprehensive and all consuming. Do you have your equipment turned on? And beyond that, do you have it tuned in to the to the frequency of heaven. This is the curse of cessationism. This is, is, I, I love the reformers. I love Calvin. I love Luther. I love Zwingli. I love John Knox. Mary Queen of Scots said she feared the prayers of John Knox more than the armies of Europe. Would to God that we would begin to pray and have that kind of power. But the curse of cessationism is that all those guys during that period knee-jerked everything the Roman church was doing in exaggerating everything that was a little bit of out of the unusual. They, 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 they described and identified as miraculous. And so everything was, was a miracle. When everything's a miracle, nothing is a miracle. And so the reformers came along and said, well, we're going to deal with that. And they just knee-jerked it and threw the baby out with the bathwater and just said, there are no more miracles. And you know, that's so unfortunate. I love those guys, but they missed it at that point. They missed it when they just said, no, there there, there are no more miracles. They cease. They're not for us anymore today. How disheartening to think that a God loved people in the old covenant and healed them and provided for them. And we've got a new covenant now that the Bible says is better than the old, but God doesn't even do what he used to do. Are you kidding me? God will show up in your life and show out if you'll just put your trust in him. Come on, somebody. And he's speaking, and it is a proceeding word. It's coming right out of his mouth right now. The Holy Spirit is our guide, and the Bible is our map, together showing us how to follow Jesus and advance his kingdom in our lives and the world. If you've received anything in this message this morning that's blessed you or challenged you or there's an area where it's quickened you, 
to say, man, I gotta step up my game. I, 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 I gotta, I gotta turn on and tune in. I gotta listen because I believe God will give me direction in the decision that is in front of me. I believe God will bless what I put my hand to if I'll honor Him. And, and, and maybe you've never crossed the line of faith before, and this is a time where you now know. Look, you were born with the stuff, but it's dormant. It's not turned on. I need to trust Jesus as my Savior. God, pour out your Holy Spirit on me that I might be born again. That's for somebody in this room this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around.